I know a lot of you are probably new here tonight, so if you haven't met me before, I just want to say hi. My name's Melissa. Hi, everybody. Now it feels like a very different kind of meeting. Um, we're going to be talking about our passions tonight in the message, so I thought I would intro you guys a bit to uh, passions by talking about myself and some of passions in my life. Um, so a little bit of intro about myself. I mentioned last time I talked that I'm married to Tony. Tony, are you here somewhere? He might be out there taking cash monies, but he is here. We are alive. He is married. We are married. Um, we've been friends since we met my move-in day as a freshman, so just saying that's one reason to do with movers and shakers, because you never know. But yeah, 13 Septembers ago, um, we started being friends, and then we've been married for six years, and he is great. Um, I grew up in Redmond, Washington, on the west side. And that's where in elementary school I developed a passion for soccer, beautiful sport. And in high school, as you guys know, I eventually added a passion for long distance running, once I decided to be that. Um, I went to college in Bellingham and I graduated, so speaking of graduation, I'm just telling you guys, we're only a few weeks in, it's a long road, but keep reading your textbooks and going to class, and one day you too will get the flat hat of freedom. So stick with it. And right after college, um, I spent a year training to become a campus pastor in Bellingham, and then moved here, and Tony followed me here, because um, I had a job, and so we got married. And this is my eighth year living in Ellensburg, working as a campus missionary on this campus, and I love it. I think it's the greatest way that I could invest my life for the kingdom of God. A few other passions. I'm passionate about being outside. Um, not really during fairy bug season, but every other season I love being outside. I just come alive when I step into a Douglas fir forest. Um, it, and especially if I get a run in the forest, it's awesome. Tony and I are both passionate, passionate about the Seattle Sounders soccer team. We love watching games. We love following team news. It's kind of funny. I don't know if any of you guys can relate, um, but watching a sport that you haven't played is like different than watching a sport that you've played your entire life. Like I love watching the Seahawks, but it's just like visual, like, yay, great. Watching soccer, if it's good soccer, it's easy. If it's like bad soccer, I'm like tensing the entire time because I'm like preparing to kick and like move. I don't know if anybody can relate to that or if I'm just weird, but we are passionate about watching the Seattle Sounders, especially because I played my whole life. When it comes to movies, Tony and I are both most passionate about the Marvel movies. We've watched the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe a couple times, and we're planning to watch it again before Avengers 4 comes out. Maybe not the TV shows, because that might take a while, but we love watching those movies with people, and it's really fun to be able to quote them all the time, randomly to each other. But most of all, I'm passionate about Jesus, and my life just doesn't make sense apart from him. He has saved me from so much. He's shown me the way to really live and experience freedom and love and purpose and joy. So as we move into our topic tonight, we're going to be talking about what does it look like when God is our passion? And that's the title of our message, When God is Our Passion. So as we're diving into the message tonight, can we get those Bibles passed out, please? Um, we read out of the Bible every single week at Chi Alpha, and if you don't have one and you'd like to borrow one tonight or keep these forever, either of those is good. Um, we love to give them away, so just pop up your hand as the Bible of me, please sign. And sound peeps, thank you guys for recording for the podcast. So tonight we're continuing to dive into our series this fall, which is called Who We Are. We're basically discovering what it means to be God's people in general, and as a specific community of people here at Chi Alpha. So we're exploring the foundations that we see in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. So you could start turning there if you want to. This passage you could call the people of God's selfie. 
pretty much the first selfie ever. Um, but if you go ahead and turn there with me, we can take a look at that together. Acts is one of the 66 books found within the Bible. It's about, I don't know, math majors, seven-eighths or eight-ninths, I don't know, way over to the right. Um, can somebody shout out the page number for the orange Bibles, half the Bibles? 759. Hey, that's what I have, too. So we're going to read Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, and check out what some of the earliest followers of Jesus looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Love that. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Sweet. So this is a snapshot of what it looks like to be God's people. In this paragraph, we glimpse what the people of God are all about. These people weren't in seminary. They hadn't grown up in Christian families. They were the first Christians. Um, in fact, if you check out verse 41, the one right before we, when we started reading, most of them, like 3,000 of them, had just started following Jesus the day before. So they were like super fresh uh, followers of Jesus. They had just left their old life and radically turned to starting to follow the risen king. And this is the life that they became about. This is the shape that their lives took. So we reviewed this every week, but just to review again, what are the things that we see that they did? First, we see that they devoted themselves. You know how when you have a passion, it often takes devoting yourself to it to, like, really excel in that passion? Like, you cannot be a passionate runner and never lace up those shoes and do those weird swinging leg thingies I was telling you guys about last time. You can't be a passionate runner and never run. You can't, I'm guessing, be a passionate musician and never, ever t take up your instrument and practice, right? Music majors, you should practice. Um, you can't be passionate about a sports team and never watch that team play or follow their news. Otherwise, you're just a wannabe or a bandwagon person or whatever. But even us bandwagon people do watch the games. Um, in order to really excel in your passion, you have to devote yourself to it and invest time and care and energy and love into that thing. So these people who had just newly become in love with God, they immediately devoted themselves to some stuff. And let's take a look at what those things were again. First, it says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Who are those? Apostles is just a fancy term for the guys who had walked with Jesus, the disciples who had walked with Jesus, his core group of 12 dudes. They immediately, Jesus commissioned them to be sent out to spread his movement all across the globe. So they were the sent ones who could transfer Jesus' teaching to everybody else who needed to know on this planet. So that the new believers devoted themselves to the teaching of those who had walked with Jesus for longer. They were devoted to fellowship, to sharing in life and relationship with each other. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And I'm pretty positive that if they had things like brownies back then too, that, that would have made it in the text, because obviously. And they were also devoted to prayer. Some of those things you see in that list, they were devoted to prayer. And like Michael said last week, that means praying and obeying. It's like a, a breathing in and out as we're walking and following God. What else do we see in this passage? We saw that these peeps regularly saw God do amazing, miraculous things right before their eyes. I just want to tell you guys, in case you didn't know, if you're all into following Jesus, 
today, nowadays, and you like put yourself on the front lines of God's mission, you will still today see miraculous things happen in your life. So many of us in this room are nodding who have walked with Jesus for, for some years or months or whatever because he still does those things today. Um, it's the best. He's the best. But those things that he does in our lives are also really cool. We see that these people lived in selfless, generous community with one another. And I just want to pause on this for a sec and praise you guys because I've already heard stories of people in core groups who are generously, like, pooling together money and offering to help each other get to fall retreat. I just want to say on behalf of the staff, like, and Jesus, well done, you guys, because that is so Christ-like and so amazing. And I love seeing you guys practically live out what this verse is talking about. Um, fall retreat is incredible. I hope everybody can get there. And I, I love how you guys are helping each other get there. Um, that's awesome. Uh, the last thing that we see right here is that these new believers, they met up every single day together to eat together, to live life together, and to praise and worship God together. And as I did that, God kept adding more and more people who were new to following Jesus into their family every single day. What an image this people of God selfie is. This is an amazing picture. And if you guys didn't know, this is the very text that a few decades back, the people who founded Chi Alpha, those, those young men and women, um, they studied this text and they poured over these same verses, 42 to 47 of Acts 2, and they pulled out the main foundations that they wanted Chi Alpha to be about because that's what we see the people of God being about from the beginning. Prayer, worship, discipleship, sharing life, a.k.a. fellowship, and mission. So tonight in our message, we're learning the fourth of those, studying what it means to be a community who worships God which I call when God is our passion. So to get into this worship topic, I want to tell you guys a story. So one time, once upon a time, that's what you're supposed to say, yeah. Once upon a time, there was a freshman in college who had grown up Buddhist, and he had been realizing kind of secretly in his own, like, brain throughout high school that Buddhism just wasn't cutting it. It wasn't really giving him answers for his life. It wasn't really giving him satisfaction um, or meaning in his life. And partway through his freshman year of college, some friends started inviting him to Chi Alpha. And he faithfully avoided going for quite a while. But eventually one night, I think because of girls, he went. Whatever works. Um, to a degree. That night, he walked into the meeting, <laughs> back to the notes, and he had no idea what to expect. So as the meeting began, he saw his classmates start singing like nobody's business. He was so intrigued to see 400 college students all around him lifting their hands to the roof when they were singing. Why were they doing that, he wondered. Why, why are they touching the roof? He just found it so attractive, and he found himself wanting to join in with that too because there was something real going on, even though he didn't fully understand it. And eventually the singing part came to a close, and this guy, this man who worked as a campus missionary in Amsterdam in Europe, came up to speak, just like I'm doing, except for I'm from here. Um, and a woman. Anyways, at one point during the message, <laughs> um, the speaker asked two questions to the audience. First, he said, how many of you have experienced the presence of God on a weekly basis? And this freshman guy watched his hands all around the room just shot into the air. Whoa, he thought. That's amazing. Then the speaker asked, how many of you have experienced the presence of God on a daily basis? Again, hands all around the room shot up. Right then, the freshman guy thought to himself, I want that. 
I don't even know what that looks like, but I want what these people have found. And from that second on, he listened intently as the speaker poured out his own life story about the great success he'd achieved through doctorates and being like the best person ever in his field, but also about the feeling of emptiness that kind of plagued him on the inside that he lived with for years. He described his search to find fulfillment and how he longed to experience a higher power. And one day, that speaker, through an amazing story that's too long to tell right now, he met Jesus. And he described what he, he what does it say? He described what he experienced as the most permanent fulfillment he had ever known. Earning graduate degrees and doctorates gave him short-lived happiness, but giving his life to Jesus that day left him with an enduring satisfaction that has never faded over the years and decades since. The missionary shared how now he wants everybody to be able to experience the presence of God and to worship him. So the freshman guy sat there, stunned and teary-eyed, and saw that most everybody else in the room was crying too. 400 students, college students, all profoundly moved by the word of God and the heart of God. It was a type of moment that you don't easily forget. And to the freshman guy that night, it became undoubtedly clear that something in his heart was missing, and he needed that void to be filled by Jesus alone. So that night, he went home after Chi Alpha and gave his life to following Jesus, knowing that he wanted to worship God forever. So, Tony, could you raise your hand? So... Wow. Didn't know you were going to get applause for your life story, but um, that student who became a follower of Jesus that night several years ago, because he's really old, um, is now my husband, and he is above everything else that defines and identifies him a devoted, delighted worshiper of Jesus, too. You guys, we live in a world where people are searching for what will satisfy them, what's going to fill their emptiness, what's going to give them purpose in this world. What is going to satisfy their longing? And people look in all kinds of places, don't they? Don't we? And usually end up with some disappointment. But you guys, as the present-day people of God on this campus, we are the witnesses that we've found the one who's the match for those longings, who's completely satisfying and good. And as we enjoy God, as we worship in a way that expresses his worth, and we proclaim how good he is, that's how we let the world know he's not boring. He's not irrelevant. He is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. Still today, as much as he was wearing sandals in Israel 2,000 years ago. The more that we get to know God, like we talked about discipleship a couple weeks ago and prayer last week, the more we get to know God through those things, the more reason we have to worship him. Every ounce of what we learn about God is a reason to have a reflex of worship and praise him. When God becomes our passion, worship becomes our reflex. So tonight we're going to look at two main motives for why we worship. That's like the two points if you're a point member or person. The two motives for why we worship are, first, because of who God is, and second, because of what he's done for us. So first, we worship God because of who God is. The word worship literally means worth-ship, like how worthy something is, worth-ship. It's a response according to how valuable that thing is. So for the people of God, our worship of God is our reflex to his greatness and awesomeness. We worship him in many ways with our lips and with our entire lives. So really, the million-dollar question for each of us to think about right now is, what do you think about God? How big do you think God is? How does God compare to everything else that you care about or think about? 
maybe if you're here tonight and you don't know much about God, which is totally great, um, start by thinking about, I would suggest you start thinking about what are some qualities that you respect in people um, or just in general. And as we take a look in the Bible, I just challenge you to see if you notice those come up. So my point is what, what we think about God determines how we worship. If those students at that Chi Alpha, however many, 14 years ago or whatever, um, if those students had thought that God was really tiny, the worship that night would have been lame sauce. Um, if we believe God is tiny and weak and irrelevant, our worship will reflect that. But if we believe God is huge and tangible and sufficient, our worship will flood this room and this campus with his glory, like it did in that room when Tony was a freshman. And he was instantly attracted by it. Because again, it's not necessarily, the singing is we're reflecting the character and the glory and the, the greatness of God. So let's take a few minutes to check out what does the Bible reveal about God, um, who he is that we might worship him for. I'm just going to run through like five verses. Psalm 146 says, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Man, how much does our world right now need just the truths packed in, the, in those verses? Psalm 147 says, he heals up the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Quick pause. Are you brokenhearted right now? I just want you to know that all throughout the Bible, a lot of times when God identifies himself and talks about his character, like when he is giving his tiny autobiography to humans, often one of the first things he describes is his care and his tender healing of the brokenhearted. So if that might be you tonight, just know that um, God is really um, tenderly about that. Uh, the verse continues on saying, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Jeremiah 10 says, No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? That word fear usually means respect. This is your due. <clears throat> Among all the wise rulers of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Uh, and Revelations 4 says, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. These are just a few verses that I plucked out, but the Bible is literally exploding. Well, maybe not literally exploding, but the Bible is like really packed with stories spanning thousands of years, various countries, cultures, and people groups, and the stories so many of them have the same sort of deal. People cry out to God, and God comes through in big, mighty, miraculous ways. He consistently proves to possess all the power and authority in the universe. And he also proves to possess an immense care for every specific person in it. I love the verse that says he capably orchestrates everything in the cosmic level, um, calling the stars each by name. Like, have you ever looked up? There's like a lot of them. There's more than a few. Um, and he calls them each by name, and that he also heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I love that he cares about the stars and also our emotions and our hurts. I'm so amazed by him. Um, one moment that I love in the, the New Testament, the right part of the Bible, 
is a story where Jesus' followers um, realize that he really is God. This is like where they got it again. Um, it was a time where there was this insane storm happening at sea, and all of Jesus' friends were in the boat, and they were freaking out because of the storm. They were convinced they were about to die, um, and they were fishermen, so they like knew things like this. And Jesus was just sleeping, which I love to do. Um, and he got up, and he just simply tells the wind and the waves to stop. Stop it. And they did. And the guys just stared at him in awe and whispered to themselves, who is this man? Nature is bigger than us, yet it instantly submits to his voice. Their response, their reflex, scripture says, was to immediately worship Jesus. Friends, there is total confidence, matchless peace, and unsurpassable joy in knowing who our great God is. He is supreme and he is in charge. He is unparalleled in love and inexhaustible in worth. And when we worship God, we're declaring that all that we know about God and all that we don't know about God yet is true. He's all these things and more, and he's always going to be who he has always been. Second motto we have for worship is we worship God because of what he's done for us. So honestly, God's sufficiency of just who he is is reason enough for eternity for all of creation to fall on our knees and worship him. Like just because of who he is, that's good to go. Like we don't necessarily need any more than that to worship him by. But we are also super blessed to have a lot of reasons to worship God because of what he does for us personally. This incredible, infinitely supreme God created us. He loved us even when we hated him. And he paid the unimaginable price to purchase our freedom. I'm the total screw up. I'm unworthy of knowing him. I'm unworthy of being able to speak his name. But he erased that by sending Jesus to bridge the gap. So here are a few scriptures about um, what God's done for us. Colossians 1 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But, just so you know, you always got to watch out for Bible buts because they bring some of the best news this earth has ever heard. Back to the but. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Friends, if you have trusted in Jesus and surrendered, surrendered your life to following him, this is literally how you are in the spiritual realm right now. Satan and all the demons know it. God and all the angels know it. Um, we're the ones who are usually not quite in the loop, but you right now, no matter what kind of day you've had, if you are in Christ, you are seen as blameless, wearing the perfect holiness of Jesus. Everything that Satan, whose name means the accuser, everything he tries to accuse you of, they're lies. Because even if they used to be true, the truth from all the Bible butts, it cancels it out and makes you brand new. If you are in Christ, you are free from accusation, and you are totally accepted by God right now forever. Titus 3 says, at one time we also were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, like bad ones. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, another Bible, but, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This passage has approximately 55 sermons in it, 
but I just want to say that I love the ending part, that not only has God made us fully blameless and fully righteous, not only has he adopted us as the sons and daughters of, of the king of the universe, he's made us heirs of eternal life. What do we have to be stressed about if our entire eternity is secure? This life is a blink, and we're set for eternity if we're in Christ. What should we be afraid of if death is irrelevant? Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Beyond just these three, there are so many specific reasons that any of us who have walked with Jesus have to worship God because of how he's specifically proven himself in so many glorious ways in our own lives. I personally am drawn to verses like the paralyzed guy in John 5 or the blind man in John 9 when they just burst out, I was paralyzed, but he healed me. I was blind, but now I see. What are you guys going to do about that? I was blind, but Jesus healed me. I'm drawn to those personally because Jesus has miraculously healed my life in college and healed my body, and it's changed me forever. Um, another personal one for me, if you ever hear me pray, probably eight times out of ten, I like catch myself doing it now, I always praise God for his faithfulness. And I think it's partially because so much hurt in my life has been caused by people not being trustworthy or not being there for me or not um, giving a healthy family like I needed them to give me or whatever. Um, but God is literally 100% faithful. And his faithfulness sustains the entire fabric of the universe. He proves it to me again every single year when Tony and I get to live as missionaries and all of us staff and interns are missionaries and we get to see God provide for all of our needs every single year. Um, so I praise God for his faithfulness. These are just two of my specific things. What are your specific precious things that you praise God about? So guys, this, all that I've just talked about is just some of how and why we as Chi Alpha are a community of worship. Jesus has done what was needed to cleanse our consciences, to erase our sin and our shame, and to actually make us new so that we could worship God. And all of us who've been walking all in with Jesus for any amount of time, we are seeing him change us and make us new and do crazy, amazing things right before our lives, right before our eyes, in our lives. As we live as disciples, getting to know the God who's described in the Bible and experienced in our lives, our reflex to his greatness and goodness is to thank him. Our reflex response is to express our joy and delight in God. When God is our passion, worship is our reflex. And I just want to take a, a couple minutes on this aside. Um, this is also why worshiping God doesn't have to be short-circuited by our present circumstances. If our life sucks right now, we can still worship God because God is the same. And here is an awesome newsflash. I think it's really helpful for me. Maybe it's helpful for you. You don't even have to feel a certain way to worship God because worship is rooted in truth rather than in our feelings. When I feel totally crappy, if I'm allowed to say that up here, if I feel awful, worshiping God often is like a workout that helps me get to where I should be. It often helps to remind me and fill me up again with what's true rather than just what I feel. My feelings aren't going to get me anywhere good anytime soon. 
Um, Eugene Peterson has a great quote about this in his book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, the Bible wastes very little time on the way that we feel. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. Namely, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Cash money in the bank. Worship is an act which just develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God which is expressed in an act of, act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. So friends, whatever you and I know about God, whatever he's done in our lives so far, that is more than enough reason for us to have a reflex of praising and thanking him and loving him. Worship is an appropriate reflex, and it's also, like Eugene said, it's also like a discipline, like working out to help our hearts feel rightly and accurately about God, even if our feelings aren't helping us get there. So tonight, as we move into a time of responding to God in worship, um, through singing and stuff, here are just a few practical ways of how we do this as a community on Tuesday nights. There are so many ways that we can worship God, and it's not limited to what we can do as a, as a peop- like 100 people in this room. Um, but I just want to give you a list of some of the main ways that we do this on Tuesday nights here. But challenge accepted, there's like a whole lot more to figure out, so go learn those too. Um, here's some things that we do. We sing songs that declare truth about who God is and what he's done. You probably noticed us do that before. Um, we pray. You could pray just like silently stealth mode in your brain. You could pray stealth mode on paper, or you could pray less stealth mode with a neighbor out loud. Um, you can always go out to the cutesy chairs out there and stuff and pray. We can simply say thank you to God in any of those ways. In the middle of the song, you can just stop singing and just like stare. Um, not like at someone, but just like, you know, <laughs> just like mentally thank God for something that he's been doing. Um, write that down again on paper or, or say it out loud if it's appropriate. Um, also, I just want to talk a tiny bit about some postures of worship. As we sing or as we pray, you might notice people raising your hands. Um, a lot of us do that at times. You might wonder, like Tony did that one night, what the heck does that mean? Sometimes that's a joyful expression, like touchdown Jesus. Like what we're learning about in the song is true and it's victorious, it's awesome. We do that for sports teams and like at concerts, so why not for things of eternal significance? Um, sometimes we might also raise our hands as a way of expressing needing God or receiving from God. Like my son raises his hands all the time and he's like, eh? He wants me to pick him up all the time. I'm like, trying to make your food. Give me a break. Anyways, <coughs> back to God. Um, either of those ways, like, totally makes sense. When I raise my hands, um, I'm consciously connecting my heart with one of those truths on one end or the other. Um, I might either be extra agreeing with the truth of that praise because my brain's slow and I need to, like, accelerate my um, worship of that, or I might be extra admitting my current state of needing God and not wanting to stay casual about it. doesn't mean you have to raise your hands, but sometimes for me that helps my heart um, connect with God faster. Um, so you don't, anyone in here, you don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to kneel. You don't have to stand or sit, um, no matter what anybody else is doing. But if you ever see people taking a certain posture, if somebody's kneeling or if they're raise, raising their hands or, um, or bowing down or something, you can just know that they're being as authentic and as honest between them and God as possible in that moment. So it's not weird or anything. It's totally authentic and um, very honest. 
And one of the last ones I added in for you artsy types is you can just like draw in your journal when we're singing songs or as I'm talking, which I'm sure you're probably doing. Um, <coughs> or you can like write poetry or draw cute little, you know, word art pictures that you post on Instagram later. Um, if that's how your heart worships God, like totally go for that. So anyways, every Tuesday night and every time that we gather in this room as a big community, you can feel free to interact in any of those ways as we respond to God by worshiping him. And as our team comes up of musicians who help kind of facilitate us in our responding to God every week, I will just pray to transition us. God, I just thank you um, as one of the things you created on this earth, as one of the beings you've created, I just praise you as my creator. Um, you are so much higher than I am and so much higher than any of us are. And I love that um, life following you is never boring. Um, we're never going to run out of things to discover about you or um, things to appreciate and enjoy about you. And I love um, that this adventure just gets better and better every month and every year. Um, and I praise you so much, God, that you are our provider. Um, I have to say that you're faithful because I already told him I would. Um, I praise you so much that you're faithful, God, and um, that you just have told us in this, this scripture um, so many, so many reasons that we can have to worship you. And I pray that tonight, God, you would help a lot of us just like reflect over some of the verses that we talked about tonight that reveal truth about you. Um, would you just connect each of our hearts to something specific um, that you want us to learn about you or to remember about you? and to respond in a reflex of trust and admiration and praise. Um, you are worthy of all the worship that this entire planet could give you, and um, spoiler alert, that's what we're going to do for eternity in your kingdom, and I'm so excited for that um, as the whole people of God. And so I pray tonight, God, that you would help all of us grow in our capacity and in our um, love of worshiping you. Um, so would you just help us connect to you tonight, God, and be glorified through our praise tonight, God. Hope you really enjoy it. Um, I don't know why I said that, but in your name, amen.